when you get rid of 280E, you think that's the biggest catalyst? For I think 280E is the biggest catalyst for the sector. Yeah. I think it's always been that because you're basically just making these companies 30% more valuable. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Jason Spatafora, Wolf of Weed Street. Jason, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. Really excited to talk to Jason. Really excited to learn about the intricacies associated with uh, cannabis trading. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well, Jason. Uh, we have a little East Coast-West Coast battle. So for the record, your location, please. I'm on the East Coast. There it is, Callan. I, I don't know how many straight East Coast we've had, but at a certain point, I think we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason, for our listeners and on about you, can you give a little background about yourself? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I am an Aquarius. Um, two children. No. Star, Star Wars fan? <laughs> I am a Star Wars uh, fan. No, I mean, you know, like... I started investing, investing, okay, because there's always this misconception that I'm a trader. I started investing in um, 2013, um, was gravitating towards things that like, um, that I thought the world would need. My first investment was a desalinization company. Um, And then I moved to like distressed banks that needed to be propped up by, you know, the EU, basically. I just started to just kind of get my feet wet. And, um, you know, I started out small and I was, you know, it was like good returns. And um, one day I was at home and I I heard uh, Eric Holder and he was talking about um, cannabis and how the DOJ wasn't going to go after states. Um, And I was like, are pot stocks a thing? And so like, I'd, so I, I went to you know the Google machine and I typed in pot stocks and it brought me to this website called marijuanastocks.com and there was like 10 companies listed. And I was like, oh, well, this one says it's a payment processor. So I bought it and I'd never bought a penny stock before in my life. It was like um, five cents. And then like two days later, it was like seven, uh, like seven and a half cents. And I was like, oh, I was like, this thing's up 50%. I was like, this is amazing. And then two days after that, it was down 50%. So I was like, how did I just lose 150 bucks? Um, so I started to dig into it. Um, and, you know, the volatility kind of attracted me, right? And, um, you know, I knew Colorado uh, was going to go legal. Um, and I was just kind of thinking, all right, you know, there's going to be all these animal spirits. It's weed. It's a new industry. Let's see what happens. So I start doing that. And... You know, every other week, I would just add to the position, add to the position. And I was doing what you probably shouldn't do, which was putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, and I was buying this stock at like four cents. Colorado went legal. Everything just started booming. And, um, you know, from there, finding information on cannabis online was like non-existent. So, you know, with the little digging that I was doing, I'm like, man, there's so much crap out here. I need to like I don't want it blown back on me. So I, you know, I created the Wolf of Weed Street um Twitter account. And I would use people um online. I'd be like, hey, does anybody live in Colorado Springs? And somebody would be like, Yeah. I'd be like, hey, can you go see if this is a P.O. box or a real company? I'll send you a hundred bucks on PayPal. Right. 
And so I was using like Twitter as like boots on the ground and then identifying companies. And then, you know, uh, then the market just started ripping. And I got a call from a friend and he was like, sell all your pot stocks. Now, at this point, like my $8,000 investment was like $55,000. And, and I'm just like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And my, my buddy calls me. He's like, hey, I heard you were doing really well. I talked to UC. UC's our other friend. He's like, sell all your pot stocks right now. And I was like, why? He's like, these things are about to get crushed. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I was like, he's like, they're scam companies. And I'm like, no, they're not. I'm like, I'm, you know, mine sells like lights and like pipes and irrigation. And he's like, I'm looking at shorts building up. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I got a Bloomberg terminal. I was like, what's a Bloomberg terminal? So I, was like, I get off the phone with him and I was like, this guy's an idiot. And while I'm on the phone with him, my account's just going, keeps going up. And I was like, you know what? Let me just tweet out his warning, right? So I tweet out the warning. And then I kid you not, like 30 minutes later, an article on Bloomberg came out about these things and the entire market dropped 60% into the close. So my, my 55, when I started, when I was on the phone with him, um, by the end of the conversation was like 70 to give you an idea how crazy it was. And at close, it was 29. And I was just like, oh my God, what happened? I was like, I just so much money, you know, and I was getting ready to get married in like two months. And I was like, well, you did tweet the warning, right? So now because I've been looking at these things so hard, I had a pretty good idea of, you know, what would bounce. Um, and then I just kind of started calling it out. And then from there, um, you know, these things just got hyperinflated. And then I would look for comparable companies that nobody had ever heard of. And, you know, I found one that was like a half a penny in the next three months, it went up 10,000%, you know, and the, the moves were wild, um, like thousand percent moves in, in like two weeks or a month were not unheard of. Um, so it was like a real wild time. And then, you know, I got married um, and I was going on my honeymoon and I was just holding like a massive amount of pot stocks, like, almost seven figures worth of pot stocks, like penny stocks. And I was like, time difference is 17 hours. I'm like, I, I need to start getting out. I could always come back in. And while I was on in Thailand, Thailand or Cambodia, the market tanked, like blew up. And after that, I'm like, man, you know, you really need to learn about, you know, just the markets in general. Like you just got, this was a gift. In your simulation, this was an amazing gift. Um, and then I started to go back and look. And I was like, man, you know, this time of year um, in the OTC, everything drops off a cliff. And then from there, I like formulated this Ides of March thesis. And, you know, going into the next year um, and the year after that and the year after that, by February, March, like I was... 80 to 100% out. And then I'd wait for the summer. If I still liked the idea, I would get back in. Um, and that's how I would grow my, my size. So like to give you an idea, I did this with Aurora in 2016. I bought 20,000 shares of Aurora at like 89 cents. And 
Then, uh, and this was the summer of 16. And then that Constellation Brands announcement came out. And the thing jumped to like three something. And so I, I sell it at three bucks. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is, this is nuts. And I played the market the rest of the year. And I was playing like natural gas and like oil ETFs. And then in the summer, Aurora is back at a dollar. It's actually like a dollar three, like 98 cents. So I was like, let me put it back in. So I put it back in. And then it goes from a dollar to 10, you know, into um, 2017. And then same thing. Well, taking it off, take it off the next, you know, the next year, it goes from 10 to five. I don't put all of it back on because I bought some other stuff, but you kind of get the point. And that strategy has just saved me um, tons and tons of money, you know, and then like little tricks, like if anything hits an all time high in February, I sell it, you know, which is exactly what happened with all the MSOs um, in 2021. You know, like you, you take out your principal, um, take out the profit and then go from there. I mean, my wife and I have um, an investing company and we have an operating agreement and the operating agreement spells out in black and white, like when, when we sell and when we redeploy. And it's like a year and a day, if you're up, you're, you're taking your, you know, half of the money out. And then, you know, if you, if you bought anything else, you're kind of parring your losses, like you'll, you'll tax loss harvest. And in 21, I said to my wife, I was like, no, don't, don't sell it. I was like, I don't want to sell these. I'm like, and to give you an idea, it was like Cure Leaf was like twelve fifty, Cresco was like ten, Terrison was like eight, seven or eight, and I was like, "Don't do it." I was like, "I don't want you to do it." And um, she's like, "I was like, let's talk about it." You know, at the end of the day, well, she already put the order in. I had no idea, and I'm like, "Where's all this pressure coming from?" And I'm like buying in my account. Meanwhile, she, my wife was selling into me. You know, and I always tell her like, I'm like, you're the best cannabis investor in the world because you just don't care. You're just like, am I profitable? Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to take that. Am I going to redeploy? Because, you know, there were times where we were like, all right, let's, you know, redeploy. Um, and then, you know, it kind of became clear that, you know, we didn't really want to just keep trading these things. Um, so, you know, the only way that we would redeploy was by using the spread, you know, meaning... You know, when she sold uh, Cure Leaf at twelve fifty, um, and then all of a sudden Cure Leaf's seven, right? Well, what's the difference from the amount of shares she sold? You know, that five five and a half dollar difference, and then okay, well, what's half of that? Okay, well, we'll use half of that and buy at seven, and then you know, just to kind of keep ourselves protected, but have a zero cost basis on our positions, which had a zero cost basis anyway. You know, because we took the principal out. It, I mean, I, I think I was the top tick on on Cure Leaf at like eighteen thirty eight in in February. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of my story. You know, um, I've just kind of seen it all. Um, invested in a lot of companies early in Canada, um, helped raise some money, um, and that was just super speculative. And and I think we were all kind of a little wet behind the ears, but just kind of keeping to that, like you know, manage risk, manage risk, take profit you know, we were able to not get killed, right? So yeah, I think that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. 
So kind of expanding on that, obviously early on in cannabis, some of the companies might have been different, right? So we've seen the origin of some of these MSOs. So take us through those early days. Did you get to see kind of the birth of the CureLeaf when it went from a smaller company or truly for TTI to kind of a, a bigger company is today? Um, yeah. You know, so I invested in Harvest before it went public. Um I think I did Cure Leaf also. I'm not sure. And the reason I say I'm not sure is because we, you know, uh, myself and a couple other people had a group and, and we just kind of put money in and then see what happens. We definitely saw like, I remember when True Leaf was coming out because I'm in Florida. So I, I was very well aware of them. Um, you know, I, I was a little bit familiar with Green Thumb, um, Cure Leaf. You know, I just remember kind of when they came out, when they went public, it was just kind of like everything was just starting to melt down. And that was like the same with Harvest and Acreage. Acreage, they were doing their go public at like $20. And they told me I couldn't do it. So which, you know, I have to thank that person, whoever that that, that soul is, because I would have I would have been down 75% by the time, you know, I could have uh, sold. But yeah, I mean, when I was doing uh, the Canadian things, um, you know, and after I exited in like the rest of my position in like March of 2019, um, I was still so up. And, you know, if I use kind of like the the model that I use now, I would have bought all of these things in the summer because I, I still kind of like the story. But because of where I, you know, because I, I took off um, like 80% right before C45 was implemented, which was October 18th. I even made a calendar when I'd be selling. Um, you know, I put it on Twitter. And um, I was so up, like I could buy like five times my position in some of these things. And I had to ask um, a quant to, to give me like, I, I'm like, I, I need data. Like, is this worth getting back into? And, and that was the summer. And I was like, there's no way I can, you know, come into, come into this. And I was waiting for the US companies to show like consecutive growth before I decided to put any money back into it. But, you know, like, truly, you know, next time you talk to Kim, ask her, ask her the story about True Light. Right. So, you know, I got in to truly at like eight. And you know, and I was, I was telling some friends, I was like, you guys, I was like, this company is, uh, it's in Florida, it's everywhere. You know, I think that they're killing it. And they were like, and my friend was like, and he was like a serious trader. He's like, what's the symbol? I'm like, T-R-U-L. Okay. And, you know, so I was like, put it out there. And, um, and I was talking about, I was like, Hey, you know, true leave, you know, and I like tweeted about true leave. Right. Now I'm careful about my tweets. I'm not like, if I buy something, I'm not like selling it. Like, uh, you know, you always give it time. I was like, guys, take a look at this company, Trueleave. And I put the symbol, but I put the symbol for Truelight, which I, I didn't know was like some crappy like penny stock. It was like a penny. This thing short squeezed. And all my friend calls me. He's like, dude, thank you. So what did you do? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm up like 500%. And so I had to go back on Twitter. And I'm like, that is, I'm like, no, it's T-R-U-L dot C. I go, if you, you have to call your broker, you know, if you're in the United States and get a broker assist to buy it. 
So anyway, that thing starts running up. So people start selling their true light, which they're up like hundreds of percent, and they just dump it into true leave. You know, but the crazy thing about true light is it kept going for like it, it went up like two thousand percent, three thousand, something ridiculous, you know. So that's like the the you know how like Kim and I got acquainted. It's a really funny story, but but yeah, I mean, you know, look, you know, it was always the main differences between Canada and the U.S., right? And and really, it came down to population, um, amount of dispensaries, and you know, just kind of the makeup of the people, right? So pretty quickly, you know, and I didn't even really think of this when I was investing in Canada was like, okay, well, what are they producing? And then what are they able to sell? And when I saw like a graph of what they were able to sell and then what they were having to turn into oil, you know, it was like, it was really scary. You know, you kind of look back and you're like, how did I make any money in this sector? Um, Because it really was just hype and momentum. And then of course you have government intervention that just kind of blows up the industry. And that's pretty much what happened in Canada. Now we're kind of seeing the same thing here in the United States. How much did uh, federal legalization, like the thought of it, affect like the early days like it does now? Same kind of excitement, let down, excitement, let down, or was you know, it less so? Yeah, it was definitely, you know, the excitement was always there, right? You know, I remember when um, GW Pharma um, got to like a phase three trial with like Epidiolex. Like yeah. that was a big mover for the sector. Talking about legalization, it, it was, you know, back then, and if you asked me back then, like I was very public, I was like, I don't want legalization. Um, like I never wanted legalization. You know, it was more important what states were coming online, whether it was Nevada, California, Colorado, Oregon, whatever. And then the bigger states to come because, you know, you always had that momentum, but it was, you always knew that that momentum would fizzle out by the time like February rolled around. Um, and people always, you know, will keep firing money at that story, you know, especially in the summer when these things get low. I mean, some people, you know, they dollar cost their, they dollar cost average themselves to oblivion. But I like the the system because it was like, hey, we're running up. We're going up 50%, 100%, 200 whatever it is. And then I know we're coming down 50% easy. And, and and those have been the drawdowns. The drawdowns have been like 50, 60, 70%. Oh, I mean, this drawdown's like brutal because of, you know, just the dynamics at hand. You know, where where is all the liquidity coming from? Well, it's coming from the ETF. Well, the ETF is in a very good, you know, and I'm talking about MSOS. And I like those guys, right? I love Noah and I like Dan, but it's supposed to be an actively managed ETF. And they basically made a bunch of pipe bombs, right? Based off of, with the hopes they wouldn't have, like they wouldn't go off because of, uh, you know, what was going on in DC. And they're buying into this rally a lot. You know, I mean, they spent like 14 million bucks on in three days before we, we, we hit that top on just green thumb. That position's worth seven now. And that's across the board, you know, and the whole, oh, well, you know, when people put money into the fund, they expect us to buy. Well, they expect you to be good custodians of that capital. And then you get put into a situation where, shit, we're not getting it. What do we do? 
And you can only sell your big board stock so much because at some point you're going to run out. You're going to run out of your IIPRs, your Grogen, and whatever else you have. And then you're going to have to start dipping into the green thumbs, the cura leaves, the true leaves. And that's kind of where we're at right now. You know, you're going to start seeing redemptions. And it's just a massive, massive bomb, right? And just nobody, I mean, I'd say 95% of people weren't prepared. And the people that were prepared and could see it coming um, were just cowards and couldn't, you know, and couldn't say it out loud. Now let that uh, let that marinate real quick because I want that's that's pretty powerful stuff you just said right there. So I guess staying with that, safe banking obviously is no longer with us. We we have lost we have lost the the safe banking fight unfortunately. But <laughs> the question now is, <laughs> are cannabis stocks dead? Right, we've seen the numbers just disasters. But are are they left for dead? And is there hope that there's another catalyst in the future? If you go through my Twitter feed in like 2020, like. Uh, I think maybe there's like one mention of safe banking, right? You know, we've got to get away from this idea that safe banking is the end all be all of the cannabis industry because I can tell you I've been making a lot of money in this space um, and it's never had safe banking, right? So, you know, the first thing we need to do, you know, if we want a healthy environment is people have to be better stewards with their capital. They can't dollar cost average all the way up and then all the way down, and then think like, well, at some point, I'm a five, 10 year investor. Well, you know, I remember a lot of dollar cost averaging that happened in Canada too. And those people got destroyed. You know, these are not one, you dollar cost average Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, you know, those companies are going to be around. You do not dollar cost average um, pot stocks. And I don't care how much you, you know, like how legit the company is. There can always be something um, that that comes out to you know affect it in an adverse way. You never know. Who knows? Like in five years, the United States can turn into the handmaiden's tale. And what are you going to do now? Right? I mean, obviously we have bigger problems at that point. But you see my you know my point. So are cannabis stocks dead? Yeah, they're dead. They're dead for a while. You know and. Part of the reason they're dead, besides safe banking, is you know we're on the cusp of like real serious risk in the overall market. Whereas um, you know I I had that thread that I put up on like the weekend before we hit that high, and I was like, look, it looks like safe banking is going to happen, but it's still going to get faded, right? You are still going to get faded from here because of everything that's going on. And there's not going to be a deviation from you know the, the pot stocks, even if you had safe, okay, because there still has to be custody to get worked out. There's no language in safe banking for custody. So we were going to come down anyway. Now, do I think we would have come down this fast? No. I mean, my target was like eight bucks, right? And that's if we got safe. Now, I think that the target's probably, you know, Five or under on like MSOS on MSOS. That's probably the easiest gauge, right? And look, I think if you're coming into this industry cold, yeah. I mean, some. I mean, look, I was looking today, and I was like, man, I was like, Verano's two dollars and eighty cents, and I'm like, oh, look, Green Thumb's back where I bought it, 
you know, eight bucks. Cure leaf is, you know, four bucks. Um, true leaves, you know, set under seven. I was like, this is, this is crazy. crazy. But, you know, I start thinking about it and I'm like, I'm not buying shit. You know, it's the opportunity cost, right? So where do I want, you know, do I want to sit? Why would I buy them right now when I still know that there's still, you know, um, all this risk in the market, right? You know, if the SPY goes to like 330, 300, as some analysts think, like real analysts, not these Cantor, Fitzgerald, Cowan, like idiots, that now all of a sudden when they say anything good, we listen to them. Not these morons, but like Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley, like um, Mike Kantrowitz, like these guys have been on the money. And where do you think if if we if we hit 870, all right, on MSOS in October, right, when the market hit 850 and there was still hope for safe, what happens when you take that hope away and then let the market tank. It's a, it's a real different picture, right? And then it's like, at some point, people are going to wave the white flag and try and part their losses by buying growth, which I think, and that's what happened during COVID. You know, and people would say, oh, well, my average on, on Cure Leaf is $3. I'm like, good for you. I bought, you know, I was buying Boeing at 90 bucks. You know, it doubled in a week. How long did you have to wait? You know, I was buying Square at 40. It went to 200, Lululemon, like on and on and on because people are going to pile into growth. And that's really where the generational opportunity is to make money because COVID was like that. But, you know, COVID was an anomaly. And 2018 was like that when we had that little bear market. And the thing that's interesting about COVID and, you know, the conditions for pot stock were perfect. They will never be that perfect again. You had all of these people, kids, getting money from the government, you know, opening up E-Trades, Robin Hoods, TD accounts. Um, and what are they going to buy? I mean, weed is like the biggest meme stock out there, you know? And it's like, if you weren't on Robin Hood, then you're like, oh, I can buy Cure Leaf. I can buy True Leaf. I can buy all this stuff. And there was just all of this QE happening that was just jacking up the market. And the market, you know, like stocks want to go up, right? If the conditions are there and all the conditions were there, but it gave you these hyperinflated valuations and these prices that were unrealistic. But, you know, if you were averaging up on TrueLeave at 50 and all of a sudden it's 25, you're like, it's a steal, it's 50% off. But the market doesn't function like that. And you can see that by the other stocks in the market. I mean, look at NVIDIA. Look at Roku. Roku was 450 bucks. It went from 60 to 450 during COVID. It's in the 40s again. You know, and like Shopify, like all, so many of these companies. So it's, we are not in like our own little bubble. Like 80%, I mean, Carvana, come on. Carvana was 350. Now it's like three bucks. And pot stock investor is just kind of oblivious to all this. And they try and say that they're not, but they're oblivious because 
They wouldn't be talking about dollar cost averaging. They wouldn't be trying to draw a parallel between like MSOS and ARC or like XBI, like these idiots. They wouldn't talk about, oh, it's the algorithm, it's the algorithm. No, it's your stupidity. Like traders, because there's a part of us or, you know, like a portion of, of my account that I trade, right? And it's got a very specific reason. Like I trade and I mainly trade options. And I trade options, I take half of the profit and I put it into long-term stocks. That way I don't need to grow my account with my money. I use it from my trades. And, and that's a good, just a good way to manage risk. Right. Like we would see Dan, you know, and I've I've tweeted some of these like screenshots. So like, oh, Dan's buying. All right, yeah, let's buy, let's buy these puts. Let's buy these puts. Like this is all artificial buying. So like in September, um, when MJUS was buying, Dan was buying right alongside of them and inflating, you know, uh, the sector, right? Inflating the sector. Well, when somebody that knows what they're doing sees that, they're like, this is going to come down so hard. And so what happened? We went from like 1381 to 870 in like two weeks and everybody was short. You, you dumped your risk, got short, and then it's like, okay, well, now I can buy everything half off. You know, buy it back, you have zero risk. And then you do it again and again and again. And, you know, like that's been the best setup is just watching, you know, watching like foolishness in the market and, and taking advantage of it, right? So to quickly put push back on you, isn't time in the market for someone, let's say, who's a more novice, let's say they, they put 10% of their investable assets in cannabis stocks, and they look at TrueLeave and they go, Florida is still medical only, soon there'll be adult use, Georgia's going to come online, Pennsylvania's going to come online, Maryland's going to come online. And if I can get it in at $7, it's probably has an opportunity to grow over the next 5 to 10 years. Isn't it a worthwhile position still to hold if you have it in a sizable portion of diversified portfolio? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're coming in cold like today, yeah, I think that, you know, one, you know, you have to make, you have to create a budget. How much do you want? Okay. So if you're saying, all right, I want to buy a thousand shares, right? So that's how I approach any, any investment, any trade, any option, whatever. I look at it and I'm like, if I had to hold this, how much, and I couldn't, I could only buy it once. How much would I buy? I'm like, okay, I'll buy a thousand shares, right? Of true, of true leaf, right? I mean, not me, but you know, some some novice, but maybe you, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't buy a thousand shares. But I come in and I'm like, all right. So I don't know what the closing price was. Let's say just say seven bucks. Okay, that's seven thousand dollars. That's my budget. You know what? I'm gonna buy twenty five hundred right now because I, I there's still some risk and it could go lower. And I'm gonna wait, right? I want to see what the market does, and I'm gonna tear in. All right. That's a lot different than dollar cost averaging, right? Because you're going in there with a plan. Dollar cost averaging people, the way that they talk about it, no, you're just averaging down, right? Which that means you, you had no plan, you had no stop loss. And, and let's say, you know, when you do get into this position and then all of a sudden you're at your full position and it's just not working for you, um, your stop loss should be like 10, 15%. You know, and I know a stop loss is like, it's like alien in the cannabis industry, but... Is that a universal rule that you would apply? 
Yeah, it's yeah, like that, a, that, that, that's a universal rule that I that I apply. Like maybe if something's out of support, um, then I'll give it like fifteen percent. But like I always tell myself because I, you know I hate being wrong, right? Especially when I trade. Um, everybody does. So if the thing's going against me and I'm like, this thing's probably going to go lower. I just tell myself, it's not that you're wrong. It's that your timing is off. And that'll end up saving you a lot of money because you can't get into a stock. Like, look, there were people that were getting into this sector in like February, 2021, when it's like peak, peak bubble. Right. And they were just like, I'm I'm just going to add more. They're getting cheaper. They're getting cheaper. But at some point you have to say, no, now I'm just I'm just losing money, you know. And if you are going to do that way, well, you know, maybe you should understand how to hedge your position, right? Nobody knows how to hedge their position. It's and it's really easy, you know. Like the greatest trade in pot stocks was to just be short MSOS in February and just get a year long contract. I could only imagine what that thing is paying, but um, most they're people, sponsoring this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> MSOS. That'd be amazing. Just That'd be amazing. So what's your thoughts on the business model versus the, the share price? Do you look at when you're making those investments? I guess you look at them differently between trades and long-term investments. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Do, Are do trades just all technical? Well, no. I mean... I mean, of course, other factors in there. I mean, no. It, it, I mean, like when you said technical, you mean like on a chart? Yeah, like looking at more like yeah, technical, technical like support, resistance, yeah, like your like, MACD, your all of those yeah, kind of stuff. Techni- technicals have been out the window for this sector for years. You know, they're they're like they're good to know, but those technicals are going to lie to you more than they're going to tell you the truth because, because it's going to influence you to think it's a good idea. No, because, because the, the market is not something, like mature. Because, they're not blue stock. They're not like blue chip stocks that behave according to histor- right. historical trends. Right. There's not like a volume shelf that you can really look at and be like, oh, look at all this. I mean, these things don't trade a lot. Okay. So like people, when people are like, oh, I'm looking at the technicals. It's going to, you know, we're going to get safe banking. We're going to rip to 25. I'm like, like, where do you buy your drugs? Because I'd be... <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to get your hookup. Invest um, in that company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's it's all animal spirits and and psychology. Like, look, you can get one headline. A company, a chart could look great, right? And then, boom! Like, did anybody think that we were just? I, we blew through every every support that was created from September to two weeks ago. Just got blown up. On high volume, right? So, so yeah, you should pay attention to the downside because now that you've got all of that resistance, that resistance is going to play a part. But then also you have to factor in the fatigue of the market. You know, the guy that bought um, MSOS at ten and thought that it was the bottom, right? If that thing gets to ten, he's probably going to be like, I'm just going to get out. And then you got to deal with the guy at eleven and the guy at twelve. And thirteen, and fourteen, twenty-five, and, 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 and thirty-five, <laughs> and fifty, and yeah. Oh, Nancy Mace is gonna kill, gonna do it. Up oh, thirty-three, you know, like so. Yeah, like that. You can't really look at like technicals, but you know, if, if you're looking at like the company, um, like what they're doing, like what their product is, like MedMen. All right, MedMen's a great example. MedMen's an amazing brand, right? 
it is one of the most disgusting public companies that has ever existed in this space. Disgusting. Like you, if, if you went through that prospectus, you were like, this thing is just a share selling scheme. Okay. Now, if I go into a MedMen, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, oh, nice. You know, oh, maybe I'll get one of these like uh, MedMen shirts, you know, so completely different animal. And there's, it's a, it's really hard for investors to separate the two, right? They're like, oh, look at, look at how much True Leave is dominating in Florida. Okay. You know, they've been dominating in Florida forever. Has it helped their share price? At what point does like these companies generate cash? So, like, what point is that cash flow going to actually affect the stock price? I know when, that's a, when, when, what do you think? When, <laughs> when you get rid of 280E. You think that's the biggest catalyst? Or I think 280E is the biggest catalyst for the sector. Yeah. I think it's always been that because you're basically just making these companies 30% more valuable. I talked to a banker kind of uh, too, and he said that safe banking won't even move the needle for like a lot of the larger institutes like your JP Morgans and your Wells Fargo's. They, they said that it has to be rescheduled for them to like actually seriously consider it. Yeah. Is there any truth to that statement? Yeah, that's, that's probably true, right? You know, they, they don't want to, they don't want to have to deal with like compliance and FinCEN and everything. And that's what kind of caused the blow up in 21, right? Because you had all these promises, safe banking, oh, we're going to make it, the banks are going to be able to custody them. So what did the banks do? Well, the banks are like, well, I need to be compliant because I want in on that money, on those fees, on those exchange fees. So I'm going to force everybody to sell. That way I'm like, when I come to them and this is ready to go, I'm like, look, clean slate. I don't have any cannabis stocks. We are not holding any cannabis stocks. So they forced um, fund out at Wasatch, like $300 million position, like basically at the top, like you're welcome, Wasatch, you know, wherever they were housing that. So then it was like JP Morgan and then Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch and, you know, Bank of America, all these things trying to get compliant and the market pulled back and then we're going into the summer and we're on like the normal cycle, right? 30, 40% pullback. June is the worst part, and then volume slowly starts creeping back up. MSOS went down, tap 30, 35, and then we started to just like float back to into the 40s. And then Schumer and Booker did their press conference. And um, it's funny because some of the banks were like, yes, we're working on it. We're working on it. And then you didn't hear from them. And then uh, the market tanked. And then when, when SAFE got put into the NDAA, it was actually um, Morgan Stanley came out with a note and Bank of America. Yeah, you know, our clients are asking for cannabis stocks. We think that we'll have a solution by like January. Once it wasn't in the NDAA, again, you never heard from those people again, from those banks again. So like the custody of the stock is, it's massive because there's always going to be an oversupply of stock coming into the market from these companies, you know, either through acquisition, insiders, founders, whatever, you know, original like debt holders. And if you don't have institutional support to backstop the stock and you leave it into the hand in the hands of retail, who's notoriously dumb about trading or investing, then you get what, what we have right now, which is like the worst parts of the Bible in this sector. 
Let's do a, a quick rapid fire. If you had to choose one cannabis company to hold forever, who is it? Probably Green Thumb. Bigger threat to the cannabis industry, Big Pharma or Big Tobacco? Neither. Medical operators should be allowed to convert to adult use when the markets open up? Yes. Which event is more disruptive to the cannabis industry, federal legalization or interstate commerce? I mean, they're basically the same thing. Well, I'd say federal legalization, but not in a good way. It's fair. True or false, you were involved in the game stock. Game, game, like GMA? Yeah. False. Better investment, plant touching operators or selling shovels to the operators? Selling shovels to the operators. True or or false, the wolf persona is actually Jason in real life, a character or combination in both? Combination of both. What is one idea or fact about investing in cannabis that most wouldn't know? That when legalization happens, most companies are going to get killed. Why? You know, then it becomes an execution story. You know, and this is why I got out of like 80% of the Canadian companies right before C45. You know, then it's like brands and then are you executing? Are you, what are you doing with your capital? At that point, then yeah, it's, you see a lot of death in the industry. It's like, um, and, and you saw that in Canada. There were so many public companies in Canada that were like, you know, Teagot, Aurora, Organogram, you know, um, so many. Supreme Pharma, man, I don't even know, things like Two Cents or something. Um, and once, once legalization happens, everybody thinks it's like, oh, this is it. We're going to be rich. Most of you are going to be poor. When you, started, yeah, when you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? What I got right was playing the momentum, taking my profit, moving on to the next thing, treating the industry like a giant game of Frogger. Um, what did I get wrong? Maybe pressing uh, some positions a little too hard, um, believing too much in management, you know. And but from that, I become a much better investor, right? Because the way that I look at it is, you have to treat every single company, every single CEO, as if at some point they are going to try and screw you. So you always have to be on guard, and. You know, I know it's like it's really easy because a lot of these uh, these CEOs and you know and some of them I love. You know, let me say that like I love Kim. Like I'm ride or die for Kim. Um, you know, other ones where I've had good relationships have done stuff where I'm like that was like really messed up, right? And you know, like understanding that sometimes the the public persona of some of these people is not what you think. It's a, it's like n- never meet your heroes, right? I don't treat any of these like heroes. I don't treat them like sports teams either. You know, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is your ROI, right? Your return on investment. Like, can I turn a dollar into two, um, or you know, can I turn two into four? But what you also need to think about is. If I put in one, is it going to become 50, right? Everybody likes to think about all the money they're going to, oh, we're going to be rich. We're going to buy Lambos and stuff. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. When you get to that point, you're so conscious about money that you're like, I'm not buying a Lambo. That's a waste of money. Like that's a depreciating asset. But yeah, like I'd say, yeah, maybe putting a little too much faith that 
some of these companies would do the right thing. Um, yeah, like especially early on. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Yeah, for you know, in, in investing advice, I would say, you know, you see a hundred dollar bill on the ground, you pick it up. You don't try and walk another block and say, well, maybe there's a thousand bucks and you just walk past that hundred bucks. You know, if you're gonna take profit, like always be conscious of like, you know, the market is very hard. Okay. It's not, you know, it's there to take your money. It's not there to make you money. And if you keep that front and center, you're always going to be aware of your risk, right? And when you do have a big win or you get lucky, you have to pull that that capital out. You know, so you have to have rules and you have to stick to them. You know? And I, you know, in life, I would say sometimes you're going to have to say things that are really unpopular and uh, you'll be vilified for it sometimes. But there's always going to be somebody that, that listened, um, that took the advice and, uh, you know, that makes it worth it. But like try and help people, right? You know, don't be like so gung-ho an idea that then all of a sudden the idea doesn't work and you know it's not working. And then you keep pressing that idea onto them because then you're just like Jim Jones and you're handing out Kool-Aid to people with cyanide. We just had our our Jim Jones uh, moment in the cannabis industry, you know, um, which is really sad because I know a lot of people uh, just got completely wiped out, um, and it definitely didn't have to be this way. Well said. All right, prediction time, Jason. I've given you a magic wand to change anything you want in the cannabis industry. What aspect are you immediately changing that unlocks a cannabis rocket ship? The ability for them to trade on a major exchange. How quickly do we see it pop once they do that? Well, there'll be, you know, all the usual idiots front running it, but in this case, they're right to front run it. And then, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll see an oversized move and then, uh, you know, just a complete re rating. Do I think that they go back to uh, 2021 highs? Um, they could, um, but down the line, I definitely think that. You know, there's been a lot of deterioration in uh, the, you know the overall businesses because, like, just like Apple, Amazon, all these other companies um, that the sector needs to come to grips with. They just think that oh, these things are going to moon, but actually the the businesses and, and the earnings are are getting worse. And I would expect the next two earnings to be pretty bad in the cannabis industry. Kellen, two eighty, I think uh, would probably. Uh, be a huge difference maker for a lot of these organizations that are struggling with growth capital and all that kind of stuff. I think so. Well, you know why I didn't say two eighty e because yeah, I, I think that you get a re rate, but then you've got nothing, and then you just get a fade. So, like two eighty e, probably yeah, you know, like look, when these things were making tons of money. They were still going down, right? You know, like they were. I mean, when I first bought Curaleaf, I think they were doing like 115 million a quarter. Now they're doing 300 and something mm -hmm. a quarter, and the price is lower than where I first bought it in 2020. So, um, like, would 280E though like decrease a significant amount of admin costs that these MSOS are, are incurring and maybe they could then take that cash and do some stock buybacks or something like... They won't, 
Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I can dream. I can dream, right? <laughs> yeah. They won't do stock buybacks because it's not it's not a good enough use of capital because every dollar, every, all the cash is so so important, right? And most of these guys like Cureleaf get like they need cash if they're gonna do acquisitions because who the F is gonna take stock? Right. And that thing's just going to keep getting bloated and more diluted. And it's just going to, it's just not going to move at some point. So, yeah, cash is, is just too valuable. But if you get uplist and then you get 280, then you get like, you don't get, yes. we're talking about gas, right? You get like 100%, mm. like real quick. I mean, that's the fantasy we can all for, right? Like, that's, <laughs> that, that's the formula that we need to unlock. I don't know how we can get a, Get DC okay. to get that to happen because that that seems like I'm like I'm my biggest concern is that when these big MSOs that are vertically integrated in multiple states have to get rid of some of these assets because they don't need to be vertical in all these states and people start specializing, I'm petrified to see what that does to their business because I can't imagine that they're going to have just willing takers to take these different aspects across different states. Yeah, I mean you're kind of seeing something like that with the REITs, but on the flip side, it's like hey, uh, we can't pay rent anymore. Guess what? This is your property now, and they're like, "Well, shit, I, I don't, I don't want this," you know. And they're doing all these lease back. So I sold it to you. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, you're going to see a lot of these greenhouses get converted to like strawberry farms, and like, you know, they're going to be growing lettuce in them or potted mums. Tomatoes are back, baby. Yeah, there's always village farms. <laughs> so, Jason, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more. Where can they find you? I mean, obviously, they can find me. Um, on Twitter at Wolf of Weed Street, um, or they can find me in uh, True Trading Group. It's one of the head mods, and you know, also one of the owners of uh, you know. Basically, we it's courses, and we actually teach you how to like trade and manage risk in the market. That's great. Yeah, we'll link those all up in the show notes. So anyone interested in learning and uh, helping themselves do better can take it. Definitely take advantage. Thanks for taking the time, Jason. Thanks, guys. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.